BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Schools here in the L.A. area are reporting more coronavirus outbreaks. KPCC senior health reporter Jackie Fortier says the worrying trend shows more students are testing positive at each outbreak. Coronavirus outbreaks more than tripled in the past 10 days in Los Angeles schools. Twelve elementary schools and two high school outbreaks were reported in the week ending April 5th. That's on par with the number of outbreaks during the Omicron surge. At one school, 60 students have been infected. The sharp rise in school outbreaks comes less than two weeks after many districts, including LA Unified, lifted the requirement that students wear a mask indoors. LA County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer. There is now more transmission that happens in schools than happened in the past. I know people hate those masks, but those masks really helped keep transmission in those classrooms low, particularly because in some of our schools, the ventilation systems are, um, you know, less than perfect. At the same time, BA2, the highly contagious Omicron subvariant, is infecting more people in L.A. County. Ferrer said it's likely now the dominant variant here. Countywide infections have increased to an average of 878 known cases per day. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. In San Diego County, people who are looking for COVID-19 tests at state-funded sites will notice some changes. Residents are now being offered a rapid antigen test first, and if the results are positive, they're then given a PCR lab test. There are seven of these sites across San Diego County. La Jolla resident Mary Feifel tells affiliate KPBS in San Diego she enjoys the flexibility these sites offer. It just seems like the county sites are um, spread out over San Diego, and if you don't need an appointment, it's easier to to do a walk-in. Health officials say they've seen a steady decline in demand for COVID testing and vaccinations in recent weeks and closed a larger vaccination site in southeast San Diego recently, moving operations to county clinics and mobile teams. Experts testifying before a House committee yesterday called for more regulations around the stock holdings of members of Congress. This comes as congressional lawmakers push for bills that would prevent them from trading stocks while in office. San Jose Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren called the hearings. She said stock trading in the early days of the pandemic raised ethical concerns about enrichment using inside information. Several senators bought and sold millions of dollars in stock after attending closed-door confidential briefings with top national security and health experts on the pandemic and the looming economic shutdown. Some experts also suggested extending bans on trading to spouses. 
In Sacramento, a local measure has been approved for the November ballot that, if passed, would outlaw homeless encampments in the city. The ordinance would forbid encampments in public spaces once the city creates enough shelter spaces for unhoused people. The proposal would require that spaces be approved for 60% of Sacramento's unsheltered residents. The measure was pushed through the city council this week after language was included that shelter spaces must be added to all council districts in Sacramento. During a special meeting this week, Councilmember Katie Valenzuela said the process was being rushed, particularly since the city only released details 24 hours before Wednesday's meeting. You're letting a small few with resources dictate how we make policy as a city. We're letting them make us ignore good suggestions. Because I agree, Mayor. I think it's a great thing that we put it to the voters. I think it's great that we would have a law. I think it's great that we can't back out of it. I think it's great that we're setting standards. But the devil is in the details. And there are too many details here that have not been worked out. Homeless advocates have criticized the plan, saying it's backed by business groups that have pushed for sweeps of encampments and the towing of vehicles that are being used as shelters. But Councilmember Jeff Harris says the initiative will help the city move more quickly to address the homeless problem. I have always wanted to do a balanced approach, services and enforcement to protect all the people, the unhoused and the housed. And I think that this initiative will help us get there and and much more quickly than we have been doing thus far. Now, it's unclear how financially feasible the Sacramento plan is. The city currently spends about $33 million a year to provide 1,100 shelter beds. It would have to greatly increase that capacity under the proposal. Sacramento conducted its annual homeless count earlier this year. The last count in 2019 found more than 3,000 people living on the streets in Sacramento. The new numbers are due out later this year. Over the past couple of years, the pandemic has highlighted big problems with the state's often deteriorating stock of rental housing as more people have stayed home. Now, Los Angeles County is planning to crack down on landlords who neglect their buildings. From KPCC in L.A., David Wagner has more. This week, L.A. County's Board of Supervisors approved a proposal calling for routine inspections of every rental home in unincorporated parts of the county. Landlords who neglect their buildings could face fines and even have rent withheld. Oscar Zarate is an organizer with strategic actions for a just economy. He's been calling for these reforms for years. Slum housing is disproportionately concentrated in some of the most vulnerable communities. And I think this motion is going towards repairing that. We can't have people living without hot water for two years. We can't have our little children living in roach-infested apartments. Landlords say the county's plan could lead to a bloated bureaucracy that ends up raising rents for tenants. Either way, none of these changes will happen anytime soon. County leaders say the new inspection program could take years to establish. For the California Report, I'm David Wagner in Los Angeles. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. 
Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Let's go to the Central Valley. The city of Fresno is launching a pilot program to help protect its street vendors one year after vendor Lorenzo Perez was murdered while selling corn. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has the story. The $20,000 pilot program is set to install live stream cameras on 20 Fresno vendor carts. City officials hope the cameras will serve as a deterrent to the harassment, violence, and theft that street vendors can face. Fresno City Council member Luis Chavez spoke to KQED's forum about the project. This initiative came about as a result of a number of assaults and, and unfortunately a murder that occurred about a year ago. From that, though, came this search for community support and the food vendor folks that were really feeling vulnerable out there. Officials say it's not uncommon for street vendors not to want to report when they are victims of crimes for reasons like fear of deportation or not having a proper business license. And the cameras are part of a larger effort by the city to calm those concerns. Again, Chavez. So what we wanted to do is is obviously flip that and embrace them because they are an important part of not just our culture, but our small business community. Um, I don't think a lot of folks understand just how much of of economic development they help. And every dollar that folks use to support them goes right back into our economy. The city is also putting $5 million into a community kitchen for street vendors and other small business owners to use to prepare food. For The California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. You've probably heard about a particular kind of crime that struck lots of Californians in recent years. Maybe you've even been a victim yourself. It's thieves stealing catalytic converters from cars and trucks because the metals in those converters, like palladium and platinum, have become so valuable to resell. Okay, x-ray. Okay. David. I got a vivid example of just how many people are worried about the catalytic converter crime wave a couple of days ago here in L.A. In the city's Silver Lake neighborhood, hundreds of people showed up at a free law enforcement event where officers slid under cars and trucks and stenciled the vehicle's identification numbers right onto the catalytic converters. It's hoped the stenciling would help police better track the converters if they were ever stolen and resold. Lawrence Monaco arrived three hours early for this event to make sure he was the first car in line. He said it was well worth his time. It's uh, really more of a peace of mind. The converter is is rampant regarding the theft uh, all over, and especially in my area in the valley. So, So this is why I'm here, you know, to try to do anything to deter. Replacing a catalytic converter, which is part of a vehicle's exhaust system and is necessary to pass safety and admissions tests, can cost motorists between $1,500 and $3,000. But stealing the part can just take a minute or two using easily available tools. It's an easy crime that uh, those that perpetrate this crime can make easy money. LAPD Lieutenant Bruce Hosea is with the multi-agency Task Force for Regional Auto Theft and Prevention in L.A. He walked me through how catalytic converter theft works. So what basically happens is, is you have a low-level criminal who just picks a car, you know, random. They're able to get up under the vehicle real quick, 
They're able to steal a device. They can do, you know, a dozen or so devices a night in no time. Then they're able to take those devices to what we call a core buyer, right? And a core buyer is like kind of like an in-between guy. That in-between guy will pay these low-level suspects, you know, like 100 bucks per catalytic converter or something around that. It kind of fluctuates. So if you're bringing in 10 catalytic converters and you're making $1,000. You can make like $1,000, right, for a mm -hmm. night. Along with getting your catalytic converter stenciled, law enforcement recommends that motorists try to watch where they park, avoiding unlit places if possible. People can also buy anti-theft cages and steel cables to protect their converters. In Sacramento, the rise in catalytic converter thefts have gotten the attention of state legislators. They've introduced bills this year that would require car dealers to sell vehicles with their VIN numbers already stenciled on the converters and to require recyclers to keep records of all catalytic converter transactions. But as long as the precious metals in the devices remain valuable, law enforcement doesn't see the spike in catalytic converter thefts ending anytime soon. California's commercial Dungeness crab fishing season is ending earlier than expected this year. KQED's Nina Thorson tells us why. The state had already announced that crab fisheries from the Sonoma-Mendocino County border on south would close today. Now, the Department of Fish and Wildlife is shutting down the northern parts of the state on April 20th after three separate reports of humpback whales getting tangled up in commercial crab fishing lines. The Dungeness season got a late start last fall also because of the risk of whale entanglements. The Center for Biological Diversity is asking the crabbing industry to move to different methods that don't endanger other animals. The other issue that's affected many recent crab seasons, high levels of the neurotoxin domoic acid caused by algae, hasn't been as much of a problem this year. Recreational crab fishing is still permitted for now. For the California Report, I'm Nina Thorson. And that's the California Report for Friday, April 8th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin, Asul Dahlstrom Ekman, and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening, and talk next week. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2023 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvineawards.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. 
Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> 